Welcome to the Brother, Brother, Brother podcast, where three brothers from three different generations talk about their one shared passion, music. I'm your host, Wyndham Lewis, and I'm here today with my brother, Christian Lewis. It's a Brother, Brother podcast. Today, we're talking about greatest hits albums. You can now listen to episodes on the Brother Pod app, which also gives you access to additional new music, music news, clips, and content that we curate for each episode. You can also interact with us directly through the talkback feature, ask us questions, make suggestions, and voice your own opinions. Just search Brother Pod in the App Store to download on your mobile device. As always, you can learn more about the pod at brotherpod.com. Follow us on Twitter and Facebook, and it's extremely helpful if you rate and review us on iTunes. Now, let's talk about Greatest Hits albums. Hello and welcome to the Brother, Brother, Brother podcast. I'm your host, Wyndham Lewis. I'm here with my brother, Christian Lewis. It is a Brother, Brother podcast. And today we are talking about uh, Possible Endangered Species, the uh, the Greatest Hits album. I um, I used to, one of my uh, slyest and I thought most clever insults I used to hurl at people was that looks like somebody who has a CD rack with 10 or more Greatest Hits albums in it. Um which is a wholly obnoxious um, and uh, shitty hipster uh, insult now that I think about it. But to me, it was very particularly, funny. <laughs> particularly coming from somebody who also probably has 10 or more greatest yeah, hits albums in their CD I didn't rack. I have a CD rack. <laughs> <laughs> I, had, I had shelves and shelves of those sh- that shit. But um, yeah, the, the, the greatest hits album was sort of a staple of a, of a bygone era. But, uh, you know, they don't, they don't, Obviously, they don't probably require them anymore. Um, they used to be a, a way to pad sales, capitalize on someone's popularity when they were probably in rehab, or um, you know, uh, fulfill a contract without actually having to record any new shit. Um, what it I does, guess it is, does seem like the customizable playlist probably um, sounded the death knell for the greatest hits album because why accept the greatest hits album with a song that you really don't like if there is in fact a song you don't really don't like when you can just make it yourself. Granted, that takes work, but the you know um, uh, the the like investment of your time to to the reward seems to seems to favor um seems to favor the playlist equation more than uh more than greatest hits albums anyway that is um, one of the funnier uh elements of, of the greatest hits album that i that you know we sort of forgot to put in the outline which is that remember they would always be you know they would always have the promise of with a, one original new song <laughs> and yeah. that song would inevitably uh, just suck god Fuck off! Yeah, no, thank you. And now um, I remember. Now that I recall, it, there is one instance I can remember where the bonus, you know, add-on to the greatest hits album actually became a hit, and that's uh, what is it? One of the uh, it was Tom Petty and the Heartbreakers' "Last Dance with Mary Jane," which is a song you know, I don't like, but that is it, actually uh, an album that since sending you the. Uh, outline, I believe I have added to my own notes. Um, I was going to ask you. I think that Tom Petty and the Heartbreakers, the greatest hits, was. Well, so let's let's dive into the the conversation the here. Uh, by the way, just just to for the record, um, on the record, 
I absolutely hate that song because uh, my girlfriend in college used it as her morning alarm clock. Um, oh. And <laughs> hearing the exact same two bars of Last Chance for Mary Jane is like, I just, every single time that song comes on, I, I cringe. Like, <laughs> you wake up feeling guilty? I wake up feeling hungover. <laughs> yeah. Uh, well, that's uh, yeah, no, it was really bad. Uh, but in any event, um, I, you know, I, I am interested uh, to hear your thoughts so there are sort of two, I mean, well, at least two sort of broad categories of, of greatest hits album um, I can think of. Uh, and, and one is sort of by the iconic rock band that has enough songs to make a greatest hits album. Mm-hmm. Um, and the other is the sort of forced peddled, um, you know, uh, uh, like sort of executive compilation thing that was basically uh, an album that was sort of contrived out of the fact that there were not, I mean, you know, there were, they wanted to resell the exact same material and have basically four or five hits and then sort of pad it out with songs that like, you know, any, any, um, reasonable consumer would, would look at the back of the jewel case and say, hits, mm-hmm. these aren't hits. Yeah. Um, and, and then perhaps a third option, a, a much rarer option is, is one in which the band itself actually has some kind of involvement. Um, those are typically really interesting uh, uh, cases, I think, because, you know, I, the fact that they would, and for instance, a band like Blur, that they would sanction, you know, it's a pretty bold move um, to go ahead and, and put an album out, uh, not if, was that actually after they'd broken up or, or hung it up? I kind uh, of gone think on hiatus. they were breaking up. Um, you but know, it's, they, it's, go ahead. It's assertive. Yeah, but it was also it was also probably a cash grab. It was probably um, sure. they they would have done it with Oasis if Oasis was more prolific. Um, but uh, you know, it it, it kind of makes sense in Blur's case. I I frankly like some of their albums better than their greatest hits, just in terms of sequencing. I think Park Life's a better album than Blur's greatest hits, but it is a pretty good primer if you think about it. I mean, it, it works in that case. I think they did a a pretty good job with that album. I mean, you probably were introduced to them with the greatest hits album, correct? Yeah. I, I still don't, uh, I still don't really listen to anything else. Um, just, just purely from a convenience standpoint. And I think that there will be, you know, maybe a couple of, of, um, a sort of generational distinctions like that. Um, another one, for instance, I, you know, I'm, I'd be curious to know, uh, did you ever listen to a CCR album? Because I've only ever listened to their greatest hits album, and frankly, if you held a gun to my head and demanded that I, I actually name a Creedence Clearwater Revival album, um, well, I would be dead. Yeah, uh, I, <laughs> like, I, mean, I just don't know. Yeah, it's it's a weird. That's a weird one because they were another band where like they were so prolific in such a short burst. I mean, I think they had like six albums in four years or something like that, and then never spoke to each other or just sued the shit out of each other for. Uh, the rest of their lifetimes. Um, but yeah, CCR's Greatest Hits is... But actually, it's weird because if you looked at their albums, they, those guys had so many hits in such a short period of time that a lot of their albums look like Greatest Hits packages. Um, you know, well, it's, it's, funny, it's funny, though. They are, they are a very singles-focused band, and I think we'll get into this a little bit later in the episode, but, you know, there are definitely some um, cases, I think, where, you know, the the 
the sheer force and number and you know um, plenty of, uh, of of singles available. Um, it it has two effects simultaneously. One is it means like you just have a ton to choose from. So, um, but but if you think about it, like if you put out. And, and this was, I think, much more characteristic of bands in the 50s and 60s uh, because the nature of recording contracts was, was structured in such a way that, like, you know, bands were basically on the hook to put out eight albums in two, three years. Um, and, uh, you know, they, they, would, they would go ahead and, and crank these things out. And in some cases, like, yeah, you have, you have guys like Credence who just, you know, for whom songwriting appears easy. Um, and you know, you've got to think that in, in the modern era, a guy like Ty Siegel would similarly just churn, you know, churn out great song after great song. Um, but, but I think, you know, one thing that, that perhaps, um, sort of falls by the wayside as a result of this is like, you know, you, you don't necessarily have like a central conceit under you, like to, that, that holds like each album together. Mm-hmm. And, and in, in some ways that's more conducive to making a greatest hits album later. Yeah, I mean, and, and uh, you know, in fact, I think in the case of CCR, and even maybe the Eagles, which was their greatest hits, was the greatest, was the best, biggest selling album in the history of the, this country. Um, you know, you those have become the sort of de facto historical uh, documents of these bands. Um, both, you know, I don't know anybody who listens to, in the long run, uh, rather than Eagles' greatest hits. Uh, and CCR the same. I don't think anybody's listening to uh, it. Like you said, it's really hard to name their albums. You know, so <laughs> well, they're like, also they're also all called stuff. I actually had to look this up, but they are called stuff like Credence Gold and More Credence. Yeah, <laughs> and Chronicle. Yeah, they were, like, they were I mean, like, songs. They didn't have the the creative energy to name albums. The bandwidth. Yeah, exactly. Like they could have, you know, just like can you just get like a bat, you know, like a. a just add a guitarist somewhere in the back whose entire job it is to come up with more inventive album titles. Um, but, uh, you know, I, I think the other, it's interesting when you, when you mentioned the Eagles in the same vein, um, that, uh, just caused me to think that, you know, a, another like similarity between those two in particular is just the, just the bitter strife between the, you know, um, uh, Bandmates and and you know I think um, wouldn't you love to hear an album of CCR and the Eagles' best arguments? Yeah, I would like to hear the. the well, I'm, I'm I'm sure that the unedited masters contain plenty of that stuff. Like <laughs> John um, Fogarty beating his brother with a guitar <laughs> neck, you know. Yeah, well, and so, but that's that's the thing. It's like the the politics of you know, in the Eagles' case anyway, like they had to sort of they were so bogged down by this like um uh requirement that they uh demonstrate that they were a group of you know near equals um and each getting a share of songwriting credits and uh performance credits like that they would have to balance these albums out um and you know it's like just just get the fuck out of Glenn Brian, Don Henley's way. Like, those two guys are writing all your hits. Like, just, you know, whatever. It, it, I mean, yeah. recognize that and roll with it. Um, yeah, I, and think, I, guess, I think they're all sitting in their, you know, uh, double-wide mansions in, in uh, uh, Montecito, um, thanking heavens that they, uh, that they didn't, you know, 
petition too hard for their own songs to be included. Yeah, I'm sure they are. But, I mean, that's the thing. It's like, in some respects, you know, that allows a uh, record executive to say, okay, you know, now that you guys have had your, um, like, symbolic experiment in democracy, um, let's... uh, Yeah, exactly. Let's sell some records. Um, So, and I believe, is is, is the Eagles the... The, uh, the greatest selling album yes. ever. I, yeah, yeah, sorry, I just okay. said that. But yeah, it was it was the uh, best selling album in the history of the United States, and uh, I'm sure um, you're probably it's, one of the few people that didn't that didn't buy it. But yeah, there's some other um, interesting acts that are sort of that I think are pretty conducive to that um, format. You know, I mean, we talk about Abba Gold, which is kind of become, you know... I prefer their early stuff. Their early stuff is really funny. Um, I actually do have, you know, I actually did have some ABBA albums and kind of grew up in an era where they were putting out albums like Voulez Vous and, um, you know, uh, their first album, which is uh, pretty... Waterloo? um, Yeah, I guess their first album was Waterloo, but I remember it had a song on it called the King Kong Song. And that when something, I won't try and sing it, but it, it, the lyrics were something (laughs) akin to, this is the King Kong song and we have to get it on. Um, their, their English wasn't so good at the beginning. Um, (laughs) they get, you know, I mean, but if you think about, I mean, I have a gold is, is, you know, do you, you probably know nothing other than. Abigold and Abigold. Yeah, I mean, it's sort of, well, I mean, all of their, yes, I think that's that's safe to say. Like, and most of what I know are, like, sort of, like, these, these, you know, like, sort of very specific stories about singles, for instance. And also it was a, you know, disco was a fairly single-driven market. Um, And uh, so, you know, the fact that they performed Waterloo on Eurovision Song Contest or whatever is, like... um, is some is for some reason seared into my mind, uh, and that that was sort of their their debut to the world. But aside well, from they, that, like they, the actual listening experience for me was always through Abbott Gold. I, I I couldn't name a single other album. I would flag um, that comment a little bit just because I don't think of Abba. I think of Abba as a band that existed in the disco age. I don't think of them as a disco band. Um, you know, they have a lot of the hallmarks of a disco band, like the awesome outfits and the awesome hair. Um, but they but, were actually a. a they like were just the pop band, you know. They were the quintessential pop band. They're, they're, you know, a lot of their most of their songs are aren't like, I mean, there's Dancing Queen, which is a disco sure. anthem, but you know, a lot of their songs are are you know sort of piano based uh, pop songs, and and you know if they were, um, no, they're basically kids bop before kids bop. Well, they, you know, I mean, if they are all, if they were earlier, they'd have written standards. You know, they'd be Noel Coward. Without the clever, that's a funny bold. <laughs> yeah, well, I mean, not yeah, unintentionally funny. Um, uh, well, King Kong song is pretty goddamn funny. <laughs> yeah, exactly. Um, so, I okay, yeah, I mean, I, I would certainly, uh, I, I grant, I grant you that point that they were not a, a, a disco band per se. I think they they had a lot of the disco aesthetics, as yeah. we're agreeing, um, but they also weren't you know, one of the rock and roll bands of the same era. And, um, you know, it's funny. It's like Led Zeppelin for me will never be a greatest hits band. But Mm -hmm. what was kind of fascinating was that um, as I, so I guess, you know, 
as I got into them around the age of like 10, 11, 12, um, and started sort of devouring every, every album, you know, um, they put out and, you know, this is such a, a, a sort of key, like every kid has this like classic rock moment, um, or a lot of kids do, uh, a sort of classic rock entree into, into, you know, like independent taste. Um, and what was interesting was that around the same time, I guess two or three years after that had happened, um, they, you know, did a big, uh, sort of retrospective release of like how the West was won. Mm-hmm. Um, and the Led Zeppelin DVD came out. And, the and so you set. had these totally. And so, so what was, what's clear, there is a sort of like interesting dividing line where kids a few years younger than me, if they like Led Zeppelin will probably, um, have a lot more to say about, about the sort of greatest hits, uh, mm-hmm. experience than, than I do. Yeah. Um, well, then there was the bane of my existence in, in high school, which was uh, Bob Marley legend and uh, the Grateful Dead's um, greatest hits, which escapes me at the moment, what it was called. It had a title. Um, but those are those became... Uh, was the know, title... Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> the title was Sunflower Moon Age Daydream. Um <laughs> But uh, Dude, you know, honestly, too close to a good album. Like, yeah, that, um. <laughs> but no, I mean, Legend. You know, and Bob Marley, I, I appreciate. Um, you know, and I, I really like some of his stuff. I wish I'd heard more Bob Marley albums when I was younger, and not Legend uh, on auto reverse all the time. Auto reverse for those of you who don't know is how because how you could listen to both sides of a cassette over and over again without having to get up off your lazy stoned ass and and to flip the tape over. (laughs) Um, Yeah. I mean, legend, you know, it, it, like it, we really, we have to mention it. I, I actually, uh, uh, learned in in this process that it spent 992 non-consecutive weeks on the billboard charts, um, which is surpassed only by dark side of the moon. Dark side of the moon. Um, so, I mean, it's a pretty extraordinary success. Uh, I think, um, whoever... If only you'd been around to see it. Yeah, no, but somebody got rich. <laughs> yeah, um, I believe that person's name is, um, uh, Chris, uh, oh shit, the guy who owned Island Records. Oh, yeah, what is his name? It'll come to me. Um, but in any event, uh, the last one I would bring up... Um, and sort of, you know, tossed under the ring here is, is the Almond Brothers, um, which for me, uh, was again, you know, I, I think that yes, their albums are good and generally widely regarded. Um, I think, uh, this was just a sort of personal, um, experience, which was to say that I, it was the one that was in my house. Mm-hmm. Um, so I, sort of, you know, absorbed that into my CD book. Yeah, it's a great point. record. Yeah, it's a really good version. And, like, if knowing nothing about them and coming at it completely blind, it, it works very well um, as a standalone album. Yeah, I think sometimes these things do serve <clears throat> to drive you deeper in there. I mean, for the lucky person who goes past legend, you know, there's some great Bob Marley albums. The Allman Brothers, uh, same way. You know, if it's, if it's your entree into these things, it's a good thing. But I think so many people... Stop, and I would include uh, Jimmy Buffett in my holy trinity of of legend, um, Grateful Dead, and and uh, Jimmy Buffett. But you know, for that is the thing, and and that was sort of the root of my insult that we kicked off with about somebody having more than ten greatest hits albums. It's usually the stopping point instead of the starting point for so many people. 
Right. It's it's how can I um, you know how can I do this in the most efficient rather yeah. than most uh, knowledgeable way. Yeah. Um, so, Winnem, would you like to take a quick break, listen to some music, and uh, then we can come back and talk about the artist for whom um, the greatest hits format uh, has just been a dazzling success. I'd love to. Welcome back to the Brother, Brother, Brother pod. Uh, today we are talking about Greatest Hits album, and Wyndham, I wanted to ask you, um, which artists, you know, if, if, you could, if you could narrow it down to a couple, um, are, are really uh, enhanced or, you know, improved by the, the Greatest Hits format? Well, I'd have to say number one, two, and three on my list is Steve Miller Band. Um, you know, Hell yes. <laughs> I, I love the Steve Miller Band's Greatest Hits, and it is... You know, it is the perfect boiling down of of what uh, what I, what you want to hear from Steve Miller. It's it's he you know he has a bunch of great hits. It's a great summertime record, and it's funny. I you know, and you I think you'll probably disagree with me here, but the the person I would say, um, you know, that I would compare him to currently or, or more you know more recently is a guy like Ryan Adams, who I don't want to dig through you know, all the album tracks to get to the nuggets. Um, you know, there's 15 good nuggets and the rest is, is, you know, detritus. So, uh, yeah, you get to drop your lowest scores. Like, I, I think that that's, that's sort of the, the method or like the, the thought process here is like, you're very good. Um, also you have 18 standout tracks. Yeah. Fuck it. Let's listen to and them. Everybody knows which ones they are. There's not, you know, yes. there's not a great debate. Like, you know, there's, you know, if like Cheap Trick's greatest hits, um, you know, there's I would swap out five or six songs for songs I like better, and that's usually you know the 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 curse of a greatest hits record. You want there's other songs that you think are better than the ones that were bigger hits, and in Steve Miller's case, it's just the perfect boiling down of you know if and if a hundred people listen to this, a hundred people pick out these songs as the greatest hits. I will say that I was, um, I, I'm not a huge fan of Fly Like an Eagle, but, um, because you got, I, because it was a, it was brought to you by Seal first. By Seal on the Space Jam soundtrack, yes. No, I, I'm aware soundtrack? of why I, the Space Jam soundtrack. Which one, what is that? Space Jam was the movie that had Michael Jordan and Looney Tunes. Oh, Tunes. Space Jam, okay, got you that, the NBA cartoon Oh, that thing. Space Jam, yes. Now they're remaking that, I think. Uh, yeah. With LeBron, that's right. Um, that seems generationally appropriate. Mm. But also, I hope they don't bring Seal back. 
because I really don't think I could fucking handle it if that started playing on the radio again. Yeah, it'll probably be like, you know, Ja Rule doing Fly Like an Eagle, like some has-been hip-hop person. Yeah, I mean, or, oh, just Lil Nas X. It's the obvious choice. There you go. Um, singing Fly <laughs> Like an Eagle hope. with Uncle Cracker. Um, yes. Uh, yeah, no, I, I, I do think it like that it is was Toby the, Keith. <laughs> that is the perfect delineation <laughs> though of, of like a greatest hits album. And, um, but there's other, you know, there's other bands that have such a massive catalog that, you know, like you said about Led Zeppelin, every one of their albums is worth listening to. Um, and yeah, but I'm it, not going to so argue a good that, gateway. And I'm not going to argue that how the West was won is not a good compilation. Um, but it seems so, like, insufficient to me. By contrast, for reasons I cannot quite explain, I am, I, I think partly, the Be- so I'm, I'm a big defender of Beatles 1, as you know, um, which I think may have been where you were you were headed with this, mm-hmm. or at least going to um, oh, yeah. reference it. I, so the thing that makes that special um, is just that no one else, save maybe Michael Jackson and a handful of other artists, just no one else has the clout to do it. Like, if you got it, flaunt it. And these are number one hits. <laughs> I cannot, you know, it just, the, the fact that it is as long as it is, is startling. And it, it's like, it's almost not a greatest hits album because when I was talking earlier about the fact that most greatest hits albums don't, they lack like a central conceit. Well, this doesn't. <laughs> yeah. These are number one hits. Elvis has the same. Elvis has yeah. number one hits album as well. And I think Michael Jackson's history might actually be similarly blessed but i mean then you get into bands like the rolling stones and you know bowie uh changes one and you those are really good and well sequenced records that play like albums you know if you're you know i remember my intro to bowie was more i mean other than you know actually being having him having hits in my lifetime um like uh you know i probably started with uh, fame uh it's probably the first bowie hit that i remember but, um, you know, it's, it's a good compression of his catalog and it sent me into, it made me curious to listen to all of the other albums, which are great. You know, I mean, Hunky Dory, Ziggy Stardust, um, you know, on through to the, you know, the Berlin trilogy, um, all of those albums, uh, you know, he was such a, he was such a great, um, sort of composer and, and musician, <clears throat> I mean, uh, you know, and deliverer of, of songs that, you know, even his most experimental stuff had like obvious standout radio hits on it. Now there was one that I wanted to ask you about because I think it might be different for me versus, uh, you, I, I think, and you know, we mentioned, Blur a few minutes ago, um, where you know you you sort of prefer Park Life. Uh, I really have had it. Just it, the the greatest hits album is so good. Um, not to mention the album art is so good uh, that you know there's really I've never felt a very strong um, impulse to to dig all that much deeper. And the other um, and, and you know the other really well sort of polished standalone album um, is Singles Going Steady by Buzzcocks. And those guys, like, I'm not saying it's a substitute um, for listening to their uh, to their LPs, but it certainly is a good standalone album. Well, Singles Going Steady was is a different beast because Singles Going Steady was really a compilation of their singles. 
So it wasn't, um, it wasn't a great, they weren't culled from albums. They were only singles and then someone put them together as an album. So none it, of them appeared on other albums. Um, there was not in, the, not as a U.S. release. No, there were, uh, there were multiple EPs and, uh, they did have one album in the UK, but it was kind of like, you know, it was Which is kind, kind of, of its own. That's also a pretty, I mean, that's, that's a very common, like early punk. Um, yeah. I mean, the uh, water was like that too. Yeah, Minor threat was like that. Um, yeah. with the exception of out of step, uh, you know, you've like the entire minor threat discography fits on one CD. So, um, with time is, of despair. Yes. Um, yeah, no, exactly. Uh, so that, I mean, there, there are sort of a variety of, of examples like this that I can think of where compiled EPs are, are held together. I still, I suppose it seems to occupy the, the place in lore as a sort of, um, uh, as a greatest hits album, though, mm-hmm. yeah, no, it, um, it, it is kind of their default. I mean, I happen to like different kind of tension a lot, um, but you know, if you only had singles going steady, that is a that is a lifetime of of it's a lot of what you need. Yeah, it is a lot of what you need. Exactly, well put. <laughs> um, you know, I think fresh fruit for rotting vegetables is another one, and that kind of brings us to another subject, which is albums that are default greatest hits. Um, you know, I mean, I don't think you could. I think you could live with, uh, you know, Boston's first album, if you could, if you could, you know, sort of cut and paste "Don't Look Back" from their second album onto the first album, you'd have everything you needed by Boston. Yes, I Fresh Fruit for Running Vegetables right. by the Dead Kennedys. I think might as well be. Yeah, no, I think that's absolutely right. Um, uh, Interpol, of course, um, if you could. Uh, cut and paste evil um, yeah, exactly. onto their first album. Um, you know, then then it's interesting. Maybe slow hands, but yeah, nothing else. Um, it's interesting. You have Hendrix down here. I I wouldn't have thought that. I thought most people were Hendrix completionists. Um, I really am not. I think that one album is so head and shoulders above the rest. Um, I, I mean, that are you experienced is just like is fucking massive and yeah access bold and Lo- bold as love is is good I, I don't i don't mean to disparage it it's it's a it's a great record um but i think that if you like you could you could very um happily and and comfortably uh live your your childhood out as a as a music rock or excuse me as a as a classic rock um or sort of music aficionado uh and only have one hendrix album and i know that because i did it um, I think I, it's so. funny because I think most people my age grew up on Hendrix's greatest hits, hmm. and I don't know what is on that. I get you know I didn't I don't I foolishly I don't didn't either. do my homework on that. Um, but I, I or or maybe I'm just confusing. Are you experienced with? I it? think you might be. Is it the yellow one? <laughs> I can't, you know honestly I can't remember. It's been a while since I uh, graduated from high school. <laughs> um, but you know there's you know there's a few others too. I mean there's there's certain bands that just kind of fell off a cliff. And then there's the the greatest example of all, which is the Sex Pistols. Um, never mind the Bullocks, which is their only album and therefore their greatest hits package. Yeah. Um, 
Yes, I think uh, I think now is the appropriate time to refer to uh, this as a supernova window. <laughs> yeah, that is a, it is a beautiful thing. But you know, there's a couple of, of artists too. I, I mean, who would you who do you think would you know would be served well served by Greatest Hits at this point? And the first person I would throw out there is Kanye West. Although I do like G- his albums, GBV, GBV, Ryan Adams. Um, GBV and just, please God, somebody do that for me. Justin um, Timberlake. I, yeah, um, I mean, yeah, he has it. It's called the radio. Um, yeah, you know, and, and similarly, uh, you know, I, I think I don't know. Kanye. I have to say, actually, I forgot. There's one album where I think the band was extremely well served as well, which is Roxy Music. Yep, um, I would agree with that. Uh, Street Life was the name of the album. Was it? Yeah. Um, I think that that's a good call as well. I'm just trying to think. Um, I think there's a lot, generally speaking, um, in the like the, to come out of the '90s, um, simply because, uh, like it, it was such a singles and CD format. Um, it's a like, transitional period. Really? Yeah, it, but it was one in which people were really encouraged to crank out albums, um, if not with the same speed. They were sort of promoting three, three or four singles and and um, adding filler. I suspect, uh, I haven't looked into it, but I suspect that No Doubt has one and that it's good. Mm-hmm. Um, Sublime, I you know I think you could do it. Personally, I really like both of. Well, I like uh, Forty Ounces of Freedom and. Um, and the self-titled. So, uh, you know, I think those both work in their own right. Blink-182 would have a hell of a greatest hits album. I'm yeah. sure they do. Green Day. Probably Green Day. Yeah, although I, I, in some respects I feel like their earlier stuff almost um, stands like stands up to it, and then you could just leave the latest stuff out. Yeah, um, but I think there's one or two <laughs> songs from their later records that are really good that, you know, I would compliment. Uh, in that case, I think oh, wake me up when September ends. Um, no, um, no. <laughs> but no, I do think I there fucking are. hate that song. Yeah, God, God, it's so bad. Yeah, um, I can imagine. I, wish, I imagine that that was something you couldn't escape yeah. very easily. I mean, I think no. what's the story, Morning Glory, and and uh, I guess what's the story, Morning Glory, and and um, definitely <laughs> maybe by Oasis or if you put them together Good enough on their own. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, exactly. You could sort of sew those two things together. Um, the chili peppers. I, you know, they've, they've entered the land of the unlistenable for me. Um, all their late era stuff is, is just, I find really hard to listen to. Um, and late era by late era, I mean, post eighties. <laughs> um, so yeah, it's hard for me. Um, but that's a, that's a, a another um, function of overkill um, of just hearing everything way too much. So I don't think I have a, a particularly um, uh, unbiased um, opinion on that. I think Gene's Addiction would be well served, or Perry, you know, Perry Farrell's catalog. Uh, you know, I think you could scale that down into a greatest hits. Yeah, I think that's probably right. Shall we? Um Shall we take a quick break, listen to some music, and then I actually I wanted to come back and, and just uh, mention um, a couple of what I, I thought to be the uh, least, like, necessary greatest <laughs> albums of yeah, all let's time. Do it. <laughs> all right. 
Ladies and gentlemen, I present to you, forevermore, the greatest hits of John Tesh. Bolt's <laughs> <laughs> yeah, gotta have a greatest hit. <laughs> oh, yeah, definitely. Um, I, you know, there were just a couple that I, I, uh, I feel really, really couldn't go without mention. There's the 20th Century Masters um, greatest hits of Nelson, uh, which... Um, really seems like it wouldn't have been flying off the shelves at any point in history. Uh, perhaps I am wrong about that. Um, but uh, I, I would add also um, that, so Aaron Carter, uh, Nick Carter's younger brother, um, who, to my knowledge, had exactly one song that anybody had greatest ever hit. heard, <laughs> the Greatest Hits album. Um, I, th- I think it's possible it's just that song 11 times. Um, another, uh, another quality entry in this, uh, in this particular category is, um, Vanilla Ice. Oh, yeah. Um, does that include Ice Ice Baby? (laughs) It does include Ice Ice Baby. Could you name another song that it includes? Probably not, because you wouldn't have seen the Teenage Mutant Ninja Turtles movies. Yeah, no, I, I, uh, um... I don't know if them. <laughs> so, so uh, in those movies, The Secret of the Ooze specifically, which was the, the second one. Is that um, the name of the song, I hope? <laughs> no, no, it was such a missed opportunity. Um, the name of the song uh, is way, way more on the nose than that. It's uh, Ninja Rap. And ah. um, it does have the chorus, Go Ninja, Go Ninja, Go. Go Ooh, Ninja, Go I do Ninja, that. Go! Actually, now that so, you mentioned it, I didn't know that was Vanilla Ice. Yeah, so um, so the Coolio, one thing I about must have this, a greatest hits then. <laughs> yeah, um, uh, but the thing that that gets me about this is like, I think the I think the greatest hits album was made entirely <laughs> because they wanted to combine Ninja Rap and Ice Ice Baby on the same album. Yeah, like I think it was done for one very, very specific purpose. Uh, and That's a, he's actually an interesting case because... I, I would I like to bless when, that purpose. <laughs> no, I remember when Ice Ice Baby... This was very... I mean, this is actually an interesting business ploy. When Ice Ice Baby came out, it was not released as a single. I mean, it was released as a radio single, but it was not... You were not able to purchase it. You had to purchase the album. And yeah. that was never done. Um, you had to it was, purchase the fucking outfit. Yeah, well, you had to get the you had to get the uh, haircut, the eyebrow uh, <laughs> dividers. It, that, that was that was such an awesome outfit. First of all, but it's it was, it was an eyebrow really, fade. <laughs> it was really interesting. I mean, that that was a complete cash grab by the. It was such a huge song, and you know, I'm going to go out on a limb and say I like that song, but um, it is uh, it was not released. You had to get. Um, uh, cool as ice. You had to buy the album Cool as Ice if you wanted to hear Ice Ice Baby. You could not buy a single. 
well, I would, I would also, I, I would conclude this segment um, of the podcast just by saying uh, that this, the, the vanilla ice greatest hits at one of the funniest Amazon reviews I've ever seen, which is, uh, if you decide to buy this CD, wait patiently by the mailbox till it arrives. Upon arrival, quickly open the box, then pull the security tape from the jewel case. Open the jewel case and place the CD in one hand. Break the CD in half, then slit your wrist with the remaining shards <laughs> as you begin to die. Look at your reflection in the mirror-like surface of the broken CD and ask yourself what you were thinking when you ordered this thing. Wow. Is that, is that attributable? That's pretty funny. Uh, no, it is not. <laughs> is that, um, you know, Dominic C47? Yeah. <laughs> no, but it's uh, it's on there. So, um, yeah. Robbie no, Van I, Winkle. I, Encourage you to go check it out. Um, but yeah, a couple uh, of the ones I forgot actually uh, to put in the you know just to sort of bring it full circle. I mean, it, it, Pretender's Greatest Hits is a really good album. Best of Blondie is a great album. Um, Decade of Decadence is is you know a fun listen every once in a while. Al um, Green, what's that? Best Al of Al Green. Green, yeah, that's Some a killer album actually. Marvin Gaye, yeah, uh, you know the, there's a. You know, they're, they're, Motown was well served by a great by greatest. I agree. The temps, the the temps, twentieth century masters is fucking astonishingly good. Yeah. Um, so, no, there's uh, there's a lot of quality. Um, and again, I think partly because like the the single they were singles driven. Yeah. Yes. Um, and if yeah, and the difference between I think some of Al Green and Marvin Gaye's uh, later stuff, which you know. Uh, granted, they have a couple of really like superlative, um, uh, complete albums um, in their in their repertoire. Yes, they but, do. Um, but I think in, you know, in addition to that, there were also just some phenomenal songs that were, were peppered also... into a couple of songs into a couple of albums that, frankly, like probably could have had some of the fat trimmed. Um, they, so they being also... able to incorporate that stuff together is. They also took major career turns. And I think it's funny because I think there are other bands for whom that is a terrible thing. Um, I'm looking at you, Hart, Van Halen, and the Cars. But, yeah. um, you know, there's some people, you know, Marvin Gaye's career transition was phenomenal. Um, you know, Stevie Wonder's original Musicquarium is phenomenal. Um, so, yeah, there's it's kind of cool. Sly and the Family Stone's greatest hits uh, is pretty... I mean, his records are great, but The Greatest Hits is pretty unbelievable. Yeah. Um, no, that's that's absolutely right. Um, so uh, should we uh, take a quick break and leave you with um, a track off, let's see, The Best of Shaquille O'Neal? <laughs> <laughs> uh, and then we'll come back and add songs to the playlist and, and do a quick what are you listening to? Awesome. Remember when you asked me this one 
damn ball and slam it through the hole. Mom cracked a smile, daddy gave a frown. I said to myself, I can't let them down. So make way, I'm coming in for the landing. What's gonna stop me from being outstanding? Welcome back. Uh, that was uh, that was the high point, low point, and every point in between of Shaquille O'Neal's rap career. Uh, but we are now turning to uh, a segment that we do every week, which is "What are you listening to?" Um, and you know, this is of course uh, a, a reference to um, really any any kind of media that we're consuming, reading, watching, listening to, whatever. Um, so I want to kick this off and toss out Chernobyl. Um, and you know, just for anybody who's listening, uh, there there may be a couple spoilers here. Um, it it blows up, yeah. uh, but um, or I guess it melts down technically. But it anyway. Actually. It did explode. It did explode. It melted down, but then it didn't (laughs) re-explode, which I think was the big concern, Um, which is good because that would have killed half of Europe uh, and made it. You you haven't seen the finale yet. I watched it late last night, and I will tell you that it is – it's awesome. The whole series is awesome, but episode five explains everything. You know, even though you think – you don't need it explained to you. They actually explain the the breakdown of the science, which is really helpful. Um, that's awesome. Yeah, I thought they I thought they did that. I was a little bit concerned early on. There were there were one or two moments in episode one or two um, where, like, look, if you're making a show about nuclear physics, um, there's which, just no, <sighs> which which don't. <laughs> Um, but you know, you just, they're just going to have to be some things that you explain. Um, but I actually thought that they, they incorporated that fairly well into the scene, um, with, uh, the like Tavares director of, you know, the, the policy committee or whatever, um, sitting on a plane or sitting on a helicopter, excuse me, with, with, um, the scientist and lead character who, uh, you know, and who, who's sort of impatiently saying, so why don't you just explain this to me so that I don't throw you out of the helicopter and manages to do it in 30 seconds. And it mm-hmm. saves, you know, and it's, it's done it's in a way that helicopter doesn't, helicopter pitch. Yeah, it doesn't, it doesn't, it doesn't detract too much from, from the, the, uh, from the rest of the story, I I really want to. I, I haven't seen episode five as you said, but um, I have seen episode four, and it's one of the best episodes of television that I've ever seen. Um, like I, it just it was so good and so dark, um, and I think that that what I one of the things that I frequently um, I, I suppose get a little bit not annoyed with just um it isn't it is an observation that i uh, have made more than once in my life but um the general level of like callousness that people express toward like human tragedies in in film and television um relative to the way that they feel about uh pet related tragedies and i understand that there's um a, a certain innocence to animals and and you know there's there's no better way to um to to sort of communicate like uh, evil for evil's sake, um, or cruelty for cruelty's sake, uh, than by taking it out on animals. Um, having said that, I think that, that for, that there, there was a distinct possibility that the, the idea of sacrifice, um, on the part of Ukrainian and Belarusian, um, citizens, uh, and sort of what they were prepared to give up to, uh, to, to sort of quell this, this, 
you know, pending Disaster. doomsday. Um, like, I think that, that that might have been lost had they not used this, this motif um, of, of, and of sort of hyper-sentimentalizing, um, like, you know, really beating you black and blue um, and, and, you know, making you very sort of raw and, and susceptible to experiencing, like, the, the suffering that was about to take place here. And um, I, I think there was just one, li- and it just gives me chills to think about, but, like, you know, the, the, the line, the description that, like, you know, we, we don't have uh, robots that'll work, and it, it just, so we'll let humans be robots, you know? It's like they're just some things that we can't, like we don't have the time, we don't have the resources to innovate our way out of this problem, mm-hmm. um, and I think that that's a that's a sort of powerful uh, and frightening message um, about the the sort of specter of of you know technological development. Sometimes we just create things that are too big for us to control. Mm-hmm. That uh, includes uh, includes uh, um, you know the uh, I guess it, I, you know I guess it depends on how far you want to go in the spoiler department, but. Uh, it is uh, it is a grim and dark dark episode, and I, I can't uh, recommend it highly enough. Um, I would also I would also recommend Fleabag season two as an antidote to uh, to Chernobyl. Um, one of the weird, dark, and delightfully <laughs> funny. Yes, uh, if you'd like to stop sobbing and start cringing. Yes. Have you, did you watch the second season? I, yep, I've seen it all. Um, it's I've great. actually watched it in a single sitting. Um, I, yeah, I think it was a, I think you hit the nail on the head uh, when we were, when you described it as, as one of the biggest um, uh, turnarounds, I, I think. In, in yeah, I wasn't TV a fan history. of season one. I, I just, you know, I, and it's funny because I think everybody, I or so many people I know had the same reaction, which is, I turned off Fleabag season one after a certain. I think it was three episodes. Yeah, two, three, Might or have four. Been two. I can't remember, but it was there was there was one turn of events that just kind of everybody went, eh, eh, yeah, whatever. And um, this season is really uh, weirdly moving. I found it's just a really um, open and honest, uh, openly sentimental. Um, but it's kind of like when someone nails a love song, that's really earnest. And it's so hard to do because it, it skates so close to um, parody, but it, it, it nails the landing, as they say. And uh, uh, this one, in, in case of Fleabag, too, I mean, it truly nails the landing. It actually nails the ending. Um, and ends yeah, which it seemed like it wasn't moments. going to. No, I, I agree. I thought the ending was, uh, was, was very good. Um, I think, let me just, like, say, I, Olivia Coleman. <laughs> Um, yeah. is a fucking national treasure. Yeah, yeah, like that woman is amazing. Like if I could go she back is... and put her in Jaws, I'd do it. <laughs> I'd, I'd put her in... Um, she would. Ma- she makes everything better. Yeah. Literally everything better. It's like um, butter and salt. Just makes everything better. Yeah, totally. Um, I do... You know, I think the, the cast in this is like uh, a very... A very to you know to to sort of BBC regulars. Um, it yeah, if you've be, killed a child uh, very in a small town in England, you've seen all these people. <laughs> yes, exactly. Um, Bill Patterson as the dad, I think, is is pretty outstanding. Uh, and I, you know, I would just say that Phoebe Waller Bridge, the show creator, um, also the creator of Killing Eve, uh, who who I believe, you know, this is obviously very autobiographical, um, you know, fictional, but but. I think sort of infused with elements of her own life. Um, 
Phoebe Waller-Bridge, I, I think between seasons one and two, if I, I think, um, got divorced and, and uh, became a major success. So um, in, in that order. So I, I think uh, there, there's a certain, like, um, and I, I think she's 33 now. So um, at, at roughly that yeah, age. So she better I, get her know, ass in gear and get a career, start a career. Yeah, exactly. But I mean, I, I just I think that there was like a lot of growing up, um, possibly between the two seasons. Which you know, without well, it's, uh, it's speculating funny. too much, it seems like there's a degree of like emotional maturity that. that yes. Yeah. I would also say that um, watch Killing Eve season one and Fleabag season two, and don't watch Fleabag season one and don't watch it Killing Eve season two. So you know that's my two cents on the on the Phoebe Waller Bridge subject, but. Um, I think uh, Fleabag season two um, and Chernobyl is a great double feature. Um, yes, I liked both uh, so much and uh, couldn't praise them more highly. So there you go. Yep. And uh, so shall we put some songs on the yes. playlist? All right, go for the, it. The four hundred seventy-two thousand six hundred forty-one ten best songs of all time. I'm going to go with. The Kinks this time tomorrow. Hmm, that is a that is a good choice. I like that. Um, let's see. I'm obviously stalling. Because um, well, you already used Shaquille O'Neal for the for the bumper. Yeah, no, that's absolutely right. Um, and because my my Nelson uh, playlist won't make it on. Um, I am I'm torn between the Steve Miller band here, um, which just feels like a great move. But I think I'm going to go a little slower. I'm going with Slow Burn by Casey Musgraves. Nice. I love that song. I think that's a really, really, like, pretty timeless country song, actually. If you love that song, and I, you know, my cheerleading will continue for this, you will love Wise Blood's Titanic Rising. Hmm. On that well. note, <laughs> I'm going to go. I'm going to go have the most LA day of all time. I'm going to go to the trainer, get some press juice, come home, and work on a screenplay. So, um, if you can top that for obnoxious <laughs> LA-ness, please try. I, I absolutely cannot, uh, but I will talk to you next week. All right. Awesome. Talk to you later. Take care. I'm Wyndham Lewis. On behalf of my brothers Jeremy Sartori and Christian Lewis, thank you very much for listening to the Brother 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 podcast. Many thanks also to our heroic producer, Damian Kendall, and to Simon Doom for our epic intro music. Learn more about the pod at brotherpod.com. Follow us on Twitter and Facebook, and it's extremely helpful if you rate and review us on iTunes. Thanks again for listening.